Welcome to Real Estate Coaching Radio, starring award-winning real estate coaches and number one international best-selling authors, Tim and Julie Harris. This is the number one daily radio show for realtors looking for a no BS, authentic, real-time coaching experience. What's really working in today's market, how to generate more leads, make more money, and have more time for what you love in your life. And now your hosts, Tim and Julie Harris. Three, two, one, and we're back. We have a very special podcast for you today. This is something that Julie has put together that's geared towards helping you avoid some of the, frankly, most easily avoided mistakes when it comes to having something in contract and then keeping it in contract long enough so you actually, you know, have a closing and get paid. Yes, that's (laughs) right. And I've called this four catastrophic contract mistakes that can cost you the deal. We're here to save you from that. And here's a fact. Negotiating has become more complicated now that the market's shifted. Currently, there is a mixture of homes that are selling quickly with competing offers, as well as homes that are taking longer to sell with perhaps only one offer. Anybody who is transacting right now will report back that sometimes you put it on the market and it sells right away. Sometimes it's like, why doesn't anybody care about my listing? It's been two weekends. Let's talk a little bit about the psychology of what's actually happening. So the psychology of what's happening is you still have a lot of sellers that in the back of their minds are thinking that the house is worth more because they are they were sort of feeding off the energy of the past market. Yes. So all sellers are going to have a little bit of seller's remorse. And at the same time, buyers are going to have a little bit of fear because maybe they've been watching uh, some news headline that's predicting property values to drop, which by the way, that's never going to happen. Or maybe they're actually a little nervous because they're worried about the payment on the house. So you're dealing with a lot of anxiety that wasn't necessarily in the past market. So the psychology that's associated with working with buyers and sellers, not to mention fellow real estate people, Mm -hmm. in this market is completely different than the past market. So let's compare. Yeah, well, that's right. And and add on that, that they're going to be paying more for the same house because rates went up. So everybody's nervous about everything all the time. Now, it's not like it was, you know, say 18 months ago where we were in that sort of rickety bridge transition phase. Now people um, have gotten to the point where they accept what the market is, but still... The buyers and the sellers have memories of the market that was, and that creates a lot of anxiety, especially when you hear people saying there's going to be a recession or there's going to be this happening or that happening. And, Mm -hmm. you know, did you hear about the UFOs and, you know, all this crazy stuff? A lot of anxiety. So there's a lot of anxiety out there. So when you're dealing, if you've been in the business for any length of time, you're going to feel more stress. You're going to feel more of a burden. You're going to actually, sometimes if you don't shelter yourself, you're going to internalize a lot of these you know, essentially these added levels of emotional and psychological complexity that's in the marketplace. So just keep that in mind. If it feels tougher, it's because it is. How do you counter that? You counter that with facts and knowledge. And there's something else just on the emotional part that we don't talk about often enough. You can show emotion without being emotional. In other words, you can be like, if someone's having a problem, you can, it's really very, very critically important that you can show emotion, you can show compassion, but don't internalize their problem because it's going to make you ineffective of what you're doing. And some of you guys do that when you're negotiating. And some of you do that to the point where you end up losing deals because you get too emotionally involved with their issue and it clouds your ability to think uh, clearly and to actually help them transact. That's right. So this means you've got to sharpen your skills if you want to win every time, whether you're on the buyer side or the seller side, we're going to talk about four specific mistakes that we see happening. Mistake number one, lack of communication from both the buyer's agent and the listing agent. If you want to win, you need a meeting of the minds. 
The definition of negotiation is the reaching of a mutual agreement that all parties are satisfied with, but you have to actually talk to each other to make this happen. And I've given you two examples here. Example number one, listing agents. If you want to receive offers that are easy to say yes to, put the desired terms into the agent to agent comments in the MLS. And or, here's one that buyer's agents will thank me for, actually call those buyer's agents back <laughs> who haunt you asking you for the details that will help them win. <laughs> this is the biggest complaint buyer's agents have. Okay, example number two. This is for buyer's agents. Well, let's go back to that. Okay, so sure. there's, there's again, uh, we always have to remember, you and I have some of the most grizzled veterans in the nation <laughs> listening and agents, people m maybe don't even have real estate licenses yet. So there's two uh, sections in the MLS. One is the co comments that you put in there where you put in all your flowery descriptions and make sure you're using chat GPT, yeah. <laughs> using chat GPT to help you write your flowery descriptions. That's what the consumer sees. That's what makes its way to the portals and the MLS and the rest of it. You want to put the comments that only the agency, and if you're a listing agent, you want to put in the comments exactly what the seller wants for you to uh, actually have your contract accepted. And it could, I mean, do you want to get in there and tell them that price has to be list price? Maybe you do, but you want to give terms. You want to tell them specifics. That is going to make it so you have an unfair advantage for two reasons. One, you're going to deliver to that seller and that listing agent exactly what it is that they want. And two, you know as well as I do, 99% of the agents out there don't ever look at the agent-to-agent -agent comments. Okay, so a case in point, this is straight from a coaching client. They said, I can't believe that we lost. Here's, and I said, well, tell me how the contract went. We went 20 grand over list. We are all cash and we said we can close in two weeks. I said, well, that's interesting. That sounds like a pretty strong contract to me. Why did you lose? And I actually had them for homework call the listing agent. You guess what the listing agent said? They don't want to close in two weeks. They needed a lease back. Now you're thinking to yourself, why didn't that listing agent counter me? Because they had another agent that read the agent to agent comments. And I do remember you yes. told me this. The listing agent told that agent that they ended up actually accepting a non-all cash offer but the buyer was more flexible in the closing date. Yes, right? So these are things you guys don't know if you're not communicating. Okay, so, and that goes on both sides, right? Well, so, yeah. uh, I, I can't get off this point. It's too good. It's okay. So on listing agents, when you have a listing for sale and you have the buyer's agents that are flooding your voicemail, put in your voicemail to tell the agents to read the agents to agents yes. comment in the MLS. And you can even maybe have, um, you know, all kinds of added, you know, information in there. Home inspection has been completed. The repairs are on the kitchen counter. The uh, house has been pre-appraised. Uh, the appraisal is on the... All this added information. You guys get it? That's the point and that's the power of knowing exactly how to, Julie's point number one, communicate. Example yes. two, Julie. Example two, we just touched on a little bit. Buyer's agents actually read all the comments in the MLS and counsel your buyers to comply with as many of the terms as possible if they intend to actually win. Actually show the agent-to-agent -agent comments to your buyer's agent so they'll see that the listing agent and the seller are giving them the cheat sheet on how to actually win the listing. That's right. Now, if there aren't any comments, you've got to find the listing agent and ask them, other than price, what would it take to win? Examples of this. Does the seller want a specific closing date or a lease back, or do they want to keep their fancy chandelier? Find out and see if you can deliver a contract that they'll accept. Do you remember when we had that listing where they wanted to move their pet graveyard? I... <laughs> For example. Well, but see, these are the <laughs> funny extreme. things that you get. You will be surprised sometimes. Like you will get a list. You will submit an offer on a listing and your uh, buyer had it in their mind that there's no way that they want the crusty doghouse in the backyard. <laughs> right. Right. Or something. 
and your buyer is going to include it on the offer and you're not going to get the listing even if your pricing condition, your, pri your, your price, your financing, your close dates were all great because they received another offer and that buyer agent talked to the seller ahead of time and knew what the seller's hot buttons were and that's the reason they got the offer together. Yeah, it's all about communication, right? Okay, mistake number two, and this is a deep, dark hole that we've done entire podcast series about. No lender's letter or proof of cash or a weak lender's letter or a boilerplate lender's letter. Any of those are big mistakes. If your buyer has financing, their lender's letter needs to show, ideally, that they are loan committed. Now, remember, the, the process of the loan goes pre-qualified, which means nothing, pre-approved, which means they are closer to getting closed, and then loan committed, which means everything has been done there actually through underwriting. So, I know so ideally you want loan committed. So I know what you're talking about, but as you were talking, you know what I saw? What? I saw a big Deer wall. I saw a big wall of hieroglyphs. <laughs> and, I, and you were asking me to read Egyptian. Yeah. So, so here's uh, Premier Coaching members, log in and search for something that's called the ultimate addendum. Right and then you would definitely want to use that because what the ultimate addendum is, it is essentially, now I'm going to give you two ways to use it. First of all, Larry the Lazy Lender. You guys love it when we talk about Larry the Lazy Lender. Yes. I promise you, Larry the Lazy Lender, when he communicated with your a buyer, and this buyer thinks they're hot to trot and ready to go and their buyer, their financing all approved because they talked to Larry. Of course, Larry doesn't refer to him as the Lazy Lender. It's not on his card that way. In Larry's mind, it's just Larry the Lender, right? Well, Larry the Lender got the call from your buyer and was playing golf and did a quick, you know, hocus pocus, asked him a few ratios questions. And then Larry, the lender, then went to his phone, typed in, you know, the buyer's name, and then emailed them back a lender letter that you then accept as being an actual lender's letter, even though Larry, the lazy lender, didn't do a credit check, didn't do a, a verification of employment, didn't do any of the things necessary to actually get some sort of loan commitment. You accepted a letter from Larry thinking that it was good to go. Now, here's where that's going to hurt you because an experienced listing agent is going to know what a real lender's letter looks like. And I'll give you the, you know, the keywords to look out for subject to uh, subject to verification, uh, subject to is sometimes written in different ways. So in other words, contingent on. right. So you're going to get a lender's letter. Congratulations. Your buyer, Bob and Betty had been approved to buy a house up. To, they won't say necessarily the price, the cap, but you know, whatever. And 30 year fixed rate and they're all good to go and whatever, whatever, whatever. And it's usually one or two or three paragraphs. And then the last paragraph is going to have all the, you know, things that Larry, the lazy lender didn't do. Stipulations. Stipulations. Subject to a home appraisal. Okay, that's fine. Subject to the appraisal yep. of the property. But then it's going to be a whole bunch of other things. Like they didn't do a three merge credit report. They Subject to the ratios and the credit, uh, you know, whatever. Well, here's the worst one. Subject to final underwriting conditions. Exactly. Which that, could mean anything. Subject to final underwriting uh, conditions means that Larry didn't do jack on the loan. He spent, now, why do lenders act like that? It's because that's how they are coached and trained. And I want True. you to listen to what I'm saying because it'll save you an enormous amount of aggravation. Lenders are coached and trained to spend basically no time at all. Now, the upper end lenders and the more experienced ones don't act like this, but a vast majority of them do. To spend virtually no time at all with a consumer until the consumer is in contract on a house. It's even worse than that, okay? They are also coached, many of them, 
to not waste your time getting them through underwriting until they have made it through inspections, for example. Yep. Because what if you do all that work and it dies in inspection? You've just wasted your time and your processor's time. Now, you're wondering why your deal fell apart. Um, it's because you worked with a lender who you didn't realize was not actually doing their job. Until the 11th hour. Or frankly, maybe the lender themselves didn't know they were actually doing their job and they were just doing things the way they've always done them, not realizing that the world has changed. Yes, but here's a little known fact. With all of the technology and all of the desktop underwriting and all of the things that are out there, and all the sophisticated systems, it only takes 10 days to actually do real underwriting. Yep. There are, I have coaching clients all the time that have 10, day, 10 to 14 day closings. It is possible. It's just that culturally we've all gotten used to 30 to 60 day closings. And by the way, we also know that closings are actually happening faster now, not slower. Yep. But let me go, let me just finalize this point before you go to the next one. In Premier Coaching, there is something called the ultimate addendum. I don't remember what level it's on, but the ultimate addendum is something specifically designed originally for listing agents. So when you receive an offer from somebody, your seller loves all the price, the terms, the conditions, everything's great, and you got a lender's letter. You, every single time, you can accept all the terms and then give the buyer's agent, say 48 hours or 24 hours, to actually provide a lender's letter that checks all the boxes. That's what the ultimate addendum is. So you absolutely, and that, by the way, that's another great thing to put in the agent-to-agent uh, -agent comments. Sometimes some of you or, you know, more experienced are going to insist the buyers actually be pre-approved with your lender. If you're dealing with a buyer's agent on the other side who has lender relationships that they trust, then the, they, that's not going to work. But for the most part, you're going to need, especially on the listing side, you're going to need to take control of both sides of the transaction. Otherwise, it's not going to close because the buyer's agents who are coming out of this market where buyers were buying from FOMO and everyone could be approved for virtually everything, they're never, for the most part, unless they've been in the business for more than 15 years, they're not going to have been through anything like what we're in now, which is basically a normal market where the buy not every buyer's approved and you know not every buyer's going to... It's harder to even get approved now. Well, exactly. Well, how about lender overlays? I mean, so let's go on to a mistake number... Number, Two? number three. Number okay. three. So mistake number three, not being specific about the seller's concessions. Now, this ranges from asking for a specific type of home warranty for a specific price to asking for thousands of dollars towards buyer's closing costs, seller's concessions. Now, many of our listeners have never had to deal with this on any level ever, but the market is starting to fill up with this type of thing as it shifts. Now, the first issue that we mentioned, the warranty is easy. Just check the box on the offer stating the buyer wants a home warranty, then state which warranty and that it's for one year and it will cost X. That's an easy thing to fix, but it is a seller's concession. Now, the second issue is more tricky. If you're asking the seller to contribute, say, $5,000 or if it's higher end, ten dollars or $15,000 towards the buyer's closing costs, state after speaking with your buyer and their lender what those funds will go to. Buying down the interest rate, paying prepaid costs like taxes, homeowners insurance, and prepaid HOA deposits. Those are all appropriate things to have those funds cover. Ask for a good faith estimate so you can be specific. Now, note to self, and lenders don't get mad about this because you know it's true, some lenders will inflate costs when they know the seller is contributing thousands of dollars to the deal. In other words, they'll increase their commission. I had this happen. I think uh, Federico out in LA had this happen. He did a great job asking for concessions and the lender actually turned his conventional buyer into FHA because he was making more on FHA. Yeah. Which but what he did, the, the, the bad byproduct of that is, how competitive do you think an FHA deal is in a high-end price range in LA? Not that competitive. He actually hurt the buyer by doing that. 
Well, but that's lender looking out for lender's best yes. interest, not the deal and getting it done. That's lender right. Was, so FHA, VA deals guy, guys, almost always pays more commission to the lender yes, on the back end. Yes, and if they can get it out of the seller's pocket, then some of them will, okay? Mm -hmm. So failure to be careful when you're dealing with dollars will almost always bite you in the butt prior to closing, and guess who's going to pay the price if there's confusion? By the way, our ultimate addendum pretty much solves for all these problems. Saves you from that. It, sol it literally will save you the effort if you're working with a buyer for the first time. Um, and they bring their own lender, give the ultimate addendum to the lender. There's your checklist of things that have to be done. All it is is underwriting. Well, Julie said, you know, there's 20 buyers, you know, you have 20 buyers for every one house for sale. Well, guess what? Run them through the ultimate addendum, you know, a filter basically. And you'll discover the 20 buyers you thought were great buyers. You only have like four because the rest of them won't qualify. There's so much happening right now with lender overlays where, so for example, let's say somebody is a candlestick maker. And let's say they've been in the candlestick making business forever. And now they switch to being a cobbler. They're not going to basically, you know, pursue a new, it sounds like I'm in a Dickens How play. are we anyway? <laughs> well, now they're going to be a cobbler, right? <laughs> okay. Where they're now going to fix shoes for a living. Yeah. Well, the income's the same, let's say. They were making 100000 as a candlestick maker. And now they're making 100000 as a cobbler. So it should be no problems. Isn't that nope. what it makes? You nope. Know, so what happens? They switched careers. And because they aren't seasoned enough in the new career. Job the, history. Their lender's not going to approve them. There's all these or, extra... Or they may approve them, but they thought they were putting 20% down. Now they have to put 30% down. The lenders, and this is something, that, again, if you've been in the business for a while, you'll have experienced this in real estate. Back in 2007, we started seeing uh, lenders that were pulling in real estate agents' lines of credit. You may have had a HELOC loan and maybe you had a hundred thousand available on the HELOC. You only borrowed 10,000. You thought I have $90,000 available credit. What bank starting with bank of America, what they did is they lowered the lines of credit yep. to whatever the outstanding balance was. So your 10, your $90,000 line of credit was now what you owed of 10. In other words, that 90,000 was no longer available to you. Yeah. They locked you out of your credit line. And that's what a lot of the lenders will do to different industries or, and that happens in different parts of the country. If you're in a specific, yep. uh, you know, so you need to be aware of all this. Again, this leans back into why the ultimate addendum is so important. You, by the way, get that as part of Premier Coaching. I don't remember what level it's on. And the link to join Premier Coaching is in the show notes. And all of our notes with all of these mistakes listed in the correct order are sitting in our, you know, this is weird. Three. Mistake, oh, those are th mistake example. number four. Yeah. Okay, mistake number four. Our final mistake. There are many more, but we can only do so much on the podcast. Okay, mistake number four. Escalation clauses, escape clauses, appraisal waivers. Oh my. <laughs> These are grouped together because the mistake is the same. There are two levels to this. The first one starts with the agent understanding these clauses or maybe not understanding these clauses or waivers and what they actually mean. And the second part has to do with the buyer's and seller's understanding. So here's the thing, listeners. If you can't explain it yourself, it shouldn't be in the contract. It will come back to bite you later. So we're going to take these uh, separately. Example number one, escalation clauses. If your contract states that your buyer, and we saw this, we're, it's coming back now with scarce, more and scarce scarcer inventory. If, you, if your contract states that your buyer will go $1,000 above the highest and best other offers, it also needs to state not to exceed blank dollar amount. Otherwise, when your buyer finds out the price they have to beat, they may not qualify or be willing to deliver. They might not even have the cash to do it. And thus you've wasted everyone's time. By the way, verified offer, asking for proof of what that last offer was. All of that, right? And so here's the thing. Some of you, I see this too frequently. You guys don't even find out this is a problem until like a week or two weeks before closing. 
So note to self, make sure the buyer is actually qualified and willing to go that high or put a cap on it. What's happening is when you have an escalation clause, you are spending real money. That's coming out of their down payment money. That's coming out of their closing cost money. Maybe they have it, maybe they don't. You have to have that conversation. Don't just throw it in there so you can win the contract because the deal will die later you, there's, anyway. There's something that's part and parcel to that. Because the FHA, VA, the government loans are, I don't even know what percent, we need to Google that, find out what percent of all mortgages nowadays are government financing. Yeah. I can pretty much guarantee you it's over 90%. I bet it's you it's- It's very even, high. It's, it's the high 80s. Yeah, yeah easily. Yeah. So the loan limit now is 900000 Depends on your where you are. Sure. But isn't that what it is in the highest priced areas? Um, I think it's seven eighty now. No, somewhere. I think it got maybe, raised. Maybe I think it's, I think it's actually higher. a million now. Yeah, in the maybe. most expensive areas, yeah. it got raised. Well, so what you're going to discover is that in a lot of those uh, types of markets where the loan limits are even higher, the appraisals then starts to become even more of a problem if you're going over asking price. Because what That's happens true. on those government loans, remember I told you this, listeners, is, and this is more information on the selling side of things. Once the house, let's say you even get it in contract, and let's say the house appraises at a million, and you have it in contract at a, a 1.1 million, and then the, the financing falls out because the appraisal doesn't happen, and the previous buyer was uh, an FHA, VA, whatever government loan, what happens is that appraisal stays attached to that listing, uh, to that actual address. So that means that even if you your next, let's say you lose that buyer because they couldn't pay the overage, that appraisal essentially, again, assuming all your future buyers are also going to be uh, VA government type deals, that appraisal is attached to that house, even though it was part of the previous transaction. You need to explain that to your seller because the seller needs to understand that the government, in essence, has uh, essentially said the house is worth this. You can ask for this until the cows come home, but the reality of it is, is there's not going to be a fresh, there might be a fresh appraisal, but if it's again, a government appraisal, government loan, the house is worth what it's, I think it's attached to the house for six months. There's different rules that go with it, but it's usually 90 days to six months. Yes. There's, I mean, these are all different traps that agents fall into. Okay. Example number two, escape clauses. Now this is something that many of you have never ever dealt with, but we are seeing it come back to the market in it, depending on the house, right? So these come in many flavors, but the most common is a home sale contingency. It would, it would sound something like this. The seller accepts your contract with the following contingency. The home will still be marketed, and if an equal offer with no home sale contingency is presented, the buyer, your buyer, will be given 72 hours to remove their home sale contingency and proceed to close, or become a backup offer, okay? Now, do you understand how that works? A lot of agents will say, well, what do you mean? I've got to close in 72 hours? No, you're going to have 72 hours to either remove your home sale contingency. In other words, maybe the seller decides, okay, I'm going to roll the dice and I'm going to have two payments until my other house sells, right? Sometimes it's not contingent on the home selling, it's contingent on the home closing. All of these different nuances. So one of the things we recommend in coaching, because everybody's... Um, you know, contracts are different, states are different, even city to city can be different. Take a contracts class so that you have this language in your head and use your board forms that are pre-written for you so that you get it right and can actually explain it. All right, Julie, there's something else we should have put in here. Um, we should have mentioned this before. What's that? What's the difference between like, so most everyone in this market will have to, on the listing side, will have to take some form of financing contingency. Yes. Okay. So, but most sellers in this marketplace won't take a home sale contingency. That's starting to change, but most of the time that's true. Okay. 
So if you're writing a contract uh, and you have obviously a seller, a buyer that has to buy something, going. right? You have a buyer that has to buy something. You know, it's not going to be very many sellers if they have other offers that they can accept that have no home sale contingencies. It's you're not going to probably get your buyer in contract on anything until they are able to buy without the sale or they sell and then they, you know, it's you guys get the point. Well, here's what happens. And this is some tricksy thing that a lot of buyers agents will have figured out how to do. So listing agents listen. You could actually have accepted without knowing it a deal that was contingent on financing, but guess what? The financing was contingent on the home sale. Because where's the money coming from? Right. So you accepted the financing contingency without knowing because you didn't use our ultimate addendum. (laughs) That is the bottom line. Without knowing that you actually accepted uh, financing that was contingent on a home sale. You received the lender's letter. The lender's letter had, you know, fancy mumbo jumbo in it. And you didn't drill down. You didn't run it through the filter of the ultimate addendum. Now, I'm going to tell you how we learned that. When Julie and I sold real estate, Sadly. when we sold real estate, we had a sweet listing. The listing was in Westerville. Delina wrote the offer. I don't care if she knows. Not that we remember because it was so painful. Yeah, this was a while ago, okay? I mean, we're not spring remember chickens. Remember the listing and the agent. Yeah, I do. Because this <laughs> is where the, the most expensive lessons are the most, you know, the ones that stick with you the longest. Yep. Um, so she then wrote this offer. It was exactly like I said. No home sale contingency. We did receive like two other offers. Both of them had home sales. And no home sale contingency. Everything else was great. Seller said, heck yeah. Well, it turned out like... But it did have a financing contingency. It did have a financing contingency, which was fine. Well, Julie and I didn't realize that her... Because she didn't tell us and the lender's letter didn't disclose it. It had some fancy mumbo jumbo in there. um, You know, just like most normal lenders letters do. And this is way before we had the ultimate addendum. We didn't realize that she essentially snuck a contingent of home sale buyer in... Uh, as a non-contingent because of the fact that they, the financing was contingent on the home sale. But that, I mean, you guys see how these dominoes essentially ended up not falling in our direction. So it was like a week before closing, we get a lender's letter saying the buyer needs to cancel because they weren't able to sell their house. And we're like, what? Yeah. This turns out Tim and Julie, you know, you guys didn't realize that I tricked you into accepting a home sale contingency, even though it was only contingent on financing. Now she didn't say it like that. No, but that was the, the essence gist of, of it. it, right? And so the ultimate addendum fixes that problem in two ways. It asks when you counter lazy Larry Lender's crappy lender letter with the following language, um, that it has the, it is the, the contract is contingent not on the sale of anything. Right. Because we had another one where it was contingent on some lot that somebody owned, right, that they didn't realize. And in fact, on that deal... The, when the buyer was doing their loan application, they didn't even just, you know how you have to write out like all the property you own and what your loan amounts are. They didn't even put it on the application. I, I have the a fun, lender found it. I have a funnier one than that. Yeah. I remember this again, first year in our business, we sold 103 houses our first year, but I was working with a guy, super nice, someplace in the Middle East. He was working down at Ohio State University and he, he brought his own lender's letter. The lender, everything was great. He wanted to buy this, a house that wasn't too particular in this area that we knew like the back of our hand. All everything was great. I get him in contract, you know, set to close in 30 days. And then his financing falls out. And the lender's letter was just like all the others I'd seen, which let's be honest, my first year in the business, I hadn't seen that many, but it looked fine to me. Mm-hmm. So I get this lender's letter, good to go. The listing agent who wasn't us accepts the lender's letter, accepts the buyer, they're in contract. Financing falls apart. Guess why? Because the buyer 
had the his financing was contingent on the sale of Persian rugs in like Iraq or Iran. I remember that deal. So his, <laughs> of course you do. <laughs> so his family was busily trying to raise the down payment mm-hmm. to help him, you know, buy this property by selling, you know, some sort of supposedly valuable Persian Rug rugs collection. in Persia. Exactly. Yeah, well, the Larry, that Larry, the lazy lender, actually hadn't verified where the down payment was coming from. And again, a bunch of dominoes that the ultimate addendum will hopefully help you guys avoid. You know, there's a, we say this all the time, but it's so funny. A smart man learns from his mistakes. A brilliant man learns from mistakes of others. Ultimately, that's what coaching is. <laughs> Absolutely. Now, here's the thing. I, I don't know if you remember this or not. Back in one of our old neighborhoods, Olentangy Forest, we had converted a for sale by owner who lived over the creek mm-hmm. on the way in. And it was back then you didn't have that many cash deals right now. 25% of the market is cash. Okay. And there weren't as many, uh, like now most agents will ask for a verification of funds. Uh, sometimes buyers will resist that. I don't want to, I don't want to give you all of my information. Well, so we accepted as listing agents, a cash deal, which we were excited about all cash. Well, as it turns out, that deal died because the cash was contingent on a divorce decree which had not yet happened and had like a six month extension that they were trying to get out of us. So these are all things that we're trying to save you guys up. Okay. I've got one more example. But of this. that is, that's yeah. the reason you need to really, really careful. be careful. You don't have to learn all these things like we did. You can actually just use the ultimate addendum that's with premier coaching. That's why it exists is because it, it, what Julie and I did. I mean, it is funny, Julie, the history I know, I know. of this ultimate Thank you addendum. Thank us, I guess. Uh, yeah. yeah. Well, the, the ultimate addendum was like a, a living document. It still is. Mm-hmm. Over the years, and Julie and I were involved in thousands of home sales. Every time something a little, you know, sus, sus would sneak in, we'd add it to the ultimate addendum and we'd make it better and better and better. And we've still done it. You know, we've been coaching yeah. for... Okay, I got a part of the ultimate addendum, right? Yeah. It has to say that the buyer is, uh, if you're saying that they are loan committed or even pre-approved, for the purchase of this home at this price, yep. be, especially with interest rates moving, because if you're using a lender letter from six months ago when rates were less, or you know now ten months ago when rates were less, and they were approved at you know five fifty, well maybe with higher rates they're only approved now at four fifty, and you've got them in contract at five fifty. And also the online pre-approvals, just I mean honestly, they're terrible. They're terrible. Just assume if you get something from an online lender, it's nothing. It just is nothing. You know, this goes back to, since we're talking a lot about mortgages right now, you need to have three lenders uh, at your beck and call at all times. You do need to have a lower, depending on your market and what you sell, right? You need to have a low end agent, I'm sorry, low end lender, someone that was really good with, you know, lower end loans, VA loans. First time buyers. Right. You need to have someone in the middle and then you need to have an upper end lender. Somebody who loves to play golf and is, you know, that kind of person. Social type. social sort of fancy type. And you need to have all three of those lenders. You're not going to find a lender who, you know, drives a fancy car, drives, you know, goes to country clubs all day, who also is going to drive to a mobile home and do a refinance on five acres. You guys get the point? So you're going to, when you do any kind of transactional volume, you need to have different lenders that you can send your uh, leads to dependent on, you know, who they're a match for. That's right. And we've done podcasts on that too. Of course. Okay. Example number three, appraisal waivers. This is fine if the buyer is all cash. Okay. You don't have to have that problem. And again, 25% of recent sales have indeed been all cash, 
But if there's financing involved, the lender better be okay with the waiver as well. Otherwise, you've got your buyer into contract on a home that the lender may not approve if it doesn't appraise or doesn't appraise at the right level. If it's an appraisal gap that your buyer is guaranteeing, make sure they have the cash to support that and up to how much before they're dipping into their down payment money. This is a deal killer. I see that even now, every single week, deals die from that. And we, by the way, one of the ways that you're going to, in some markets, in some price ranges, you're going to have to discover how to do, um, you know, have the seller do a, a second mortgage. You're going to have to do carrybacks. You're going to have, we've done podcasts and obviously a lot of coaching on all of this. When you have this knowledge, I realize that some of you right now are feeling like, oh my gosh, this is a lot to know. But really, it's not that much to know because what you'll soon discover is essentially every single transaction follows the same pattern. What you've got to do, it's like when we teach you guys how to be listing agents, we want you to, you know, proactively lead generate, then pre-qualify, send the pre-listing pack. It's all a system. So every time you have anybody new show up in your life, have them follow the same system. And then over time, you'll realize it's actually pretty simple. The thing that will trip most of you up is it becomes too simple, too simple, and you get bored, and then you start adding complexity. Keep it simple. The best businesses in the world have the fewest moving parts. And they're, you know, again, the boredom is what kills really great potential because you, well, this is too easy. I don't have to think anymore. Good. <laughs> right. Lather, rinse, repeat. That's because you're becoming a professional. You want to have the same conversations over and over and over again. Yeah, that's called conscious competence. Exactly. And that's when you've actually gotten to the point where you are a professional because what you say 99.9% .9 of the time is correct and doesn't require a lot of effort for you to know what to say and who to say it to. But this only comes from skills and from experience. You cannot no matter how much time you spend learning, ever replace actual experience. That's the reason Julie and I are huge advocates of learning while you earn. Don't just sit around and, you know, premier coaching clients think you're going to learn the whole premier coaching system and then you're going to get to work. Get to work earning money while you're uh, learning and you'll find yourself learning at a lot faster rate. Oh, and by the way, making money. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And, you know, this business really is a blessing because there are a lot of real estate mistakes that you can make. And you're still going to be able to correct it, especially when you're working with our coaches where you have a daily semi-private coaching call. We're expanding that to three or four. So you have no excuse but to get help. If something goes sideways or you have questions, we're there for you literally live every single day. You can't get into that much trouble. It's, un it's different than I always think about like surgeons actually learning, right? Zoe asked me the other day, how does a surgeon er learn? They don't actually have like you know, test people that they're learning to do that. And I was talking to her about a video I watched once where surgeons learn um, how to use a scalpel on tomatoes, right? Because that's a good thing, right? You don't, they make a catastrophic mistake. It's tough. In real estate, you, you can earn while you learn. That's different than many other professions. Well, real estate has a lot of checks and balances put in place it too. Does. I mean, you have to fill out forms in a certain way. You have to have things processed right. in a certain way. You have a broker, there's an appraiser, you know, there's things that are set there that you've got home inspectors that'll save some deals, you know. And if you do something wrong in real estate, you know, again, you're going to most likely have the, you know, the next form that's going to catch it. But frankly, if you do some, if you're not knowing what you're doing, you're going to fail out of real estate. This market, this industry in general, doesn't suffer any level of incompetence for long. True. And if you're struggling, it's because, frankly, you're just maybe you're trying to stuck. Uh, you're stuck doing what worked, or what you were told worked in the past market. Every single thing is quickly changing. I, here's uh, here's a funny thought. What was it? Six months ago, not even AI was going to take over the world. Anyone talking about AI now? ChatGPT4, for example, has now seen the number of people that are now uh, essentially using the, the widget 
ChatGPT4, the numbers are actually declining. That was called a fad. And there are a lot of things like that. Now, will it evolve into something else over time, most likely? But you're going to realize that when the market shifts, if you don't shift with the market, if you are resolute, it worked yesterday, it's going to work today, the market, you know, frankly, the world will just pass you by so much faster than it ever has been in the past. You know, we went back to Columbus, Ohio and uh, where we're from. And it was so funny because it was basically like being back in the 80s. You know, so very few things have changed where we're from and all that length of time. Many of you live in markets just like that. Fortunately, the Donatos tasted the same. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so many of you live in markets like that where yeah. things feel like they stay the same. But even though visually they might look the same and might even feel the same, everything is changing. The expectations that people have, the level of expertise that, look, if everyone is doing marketing and branding, if everyone is a YouTube influencer, if everyone is doing postcards, how are you actually going to differentiate yourself with your knowledge? with your ability to actually solve other people's problems. If you're wanting to know what your true North Star in life, let alone real estate, should be, it's the simple bottom line takeaway. Your, my, your, Julie's, everyone's highest, truest purpose on this planet will give you the most satisfaction, what will put you in the most alignment with the person you want to be is being of service to other people. In your uh, chosen industry, which is real estate, the way that you earn the right to be of service to other people is through your skills. That's it. You have to be able to solve other people's problems. And when you can and you do enough of it, guess what happens? You become very successful. The wealth is a byproduct of the alignment you've had with being of service to other people. Hopefully that resonates with all of you guys. And hopefully you know that that is our highest and truest purpose too. And the people we're here to serve are all of you. So thanks for keeping this number one listen to daily podcast for real estate practitioners in at least the United States. Tens of thousands of you listen to us every single day. That's the reason this is America's number one listen to daily podcast. Um, If you have not yet done so on iTunes, please do consider giving us a five-star review and leaving a little comment as to why this podcast means so much to you. We're part of your lives every day. You're part of our lives every day. Thank you for that. This is a community of like-minded professionals that are embracing this market for what it has to offer with a mindset of service. Thank you for being on this mission with us. You guys have a fantastic day. We'll talk with you on the show tomorrow. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.